This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. Hello, you're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes and how they relate to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis. This is episode 33, and good news, it's another interview episode. So this week, I spoke to Zoe Ammer. Now, Zoe uh, runs Zoe Ammer Digital, um, which is a consultancy uh, here in the UK. It's a social enterprise and a digital agency. And they work with charities and other nonprofits to help them develop digital strategies and implement them and kind of deal with the challenges of digital transformation. Um, And I've chatted to Zoe uh, lots of times about issues to do with the kind of current state of charity digital and sort of some of our shared interest in technology and what it might mean for the charity sector. Um, And it was great to have the chance to do that uh, on the podcast. Um, So we chatted about a kind of broad range of, of issues around those themes um, some of the practical challenges around using technology in terms of, you know, leadership and the, the skills that are required and sometimes kind of appetite for risk or perceived risk. Um, we also talked about um, the work that, Char- uh, that Zoe's currently doing um, with the government here in the UK, um, leading on the Charity Digital Code of Practice, which is um, a new a venture designed to try and kind of get a, sh- a set of shared principles that charities can can all work to when it comes to trying to kind of understand technology and how it applies to the charity sector. We also talked about some interesting issues to do with where technology issues essentially become employment issues and kind of how the nature of the workplace might change, how charities are adapting to that. And whether there's a significant risk that if charities don't adapt, there might be a sort of digital brain drain from the sector. Um, We then also talked about the role that um, charities can play in addressing some of the downsides of technology. So some of the ethical issues around algorithmic bias, as people who listen to the podcast will know, is something I like to go on about. Um, And also kind of short term, perhaps in issues around things like the impact of social media on, on mental health. Um, And then we had a bit of a chat about, you know, where technology might be going in the next few years around things like artificial intelligence and what that might mean for charities and kind of why we're both interested in it. So I hope you enjoy the chat. Without any further ado, I'll uh, go into it now and then I'll be back at the end of the podcast to do the usual housekeeping and announcements. So enjoy. Okay, great. So I'm here with Zoe Amar. Hi, Zoe. Hello, Rodri. Thank you for having me today. Oh, thanks very much for for coming on the podcast. Um, I've given a a bit of a sort of background intro um, up front, but maybe the best place to start is if you just sort of say a bit in your own words about your background and kind of how you came to the, the area of charities and particularly sort of your interest in digital and tech. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I'm the founder and director of Zoe Amad Digital. We're a social enterprise and digital agency and we work with charities and other non-profits to help them lead digital change with confidence. Uh, I'm also chair of the Charity Digital Code of Practice 
Uh, some people may know that I do quite a lot of blogging and writing about digital in the charity sector, uh, and I'm the co-author of the Charity Digital Skills Report and a charity trustee. I came to the charity sector in quite a roundabout way, actually. Um, so before I came over to the sector itself, I actually used to be a lawyer, uh, and that gave me a really long-standing interest in risk, uh, and then also um, how organisations really needed to adapt to make the most of opportunities. And I'd always done quite a lot of pro bono uh, work with charities as well and I came to a bit of a turning point where I thought well I either need to, to pursue this or or not and I realized it was something that I, I really wanted to devote the rest of my life to so here we are yeah indeed here we are and you know I should say for people listening to the podcast we have chatted on you know quite a few occasions now about lots of the things we're going to talk about hopefully on the podcast uh, today so hopefully it's not too boring for you to kind of have those <laughs> conversations again um but yeah I just just wanted to pick up on um you know maybe as a good starting point talk about the charity digital code of practice um because that's you know quite a, a big thing at the moment it's a kind of government endorsed um uh look at what are you know some of the challenges facing charities in terms of you know the skills that they have but also the kind of the way in which they use new technology um and kind of digital um maybe you could just say a bit more about kind of how that came about and what the focus of that is yeah, so just to set the scene, uh, the charity sector is obviously not unusual in grappling with this issue. Uh, if you look at every, pretty much every single industry at the moment, so whether that's high street retail, uh, whether that's banking, um, everyone is is sort of looking at how they can make the most of these opportunities and of course the other side of that is uh, how to make sure that what they're doing is actually relevant it's going to continue to attract support as people's behavior changes in how they use digital uh, so the idea for the code really came about last year when uh, you might have have seen there have been quite a lot of reports from uh, Lloyd's and also quite a lot of other organizations including our own about how organizations are using digital and where they're at with it and there were a number of different reports which showed that charities are actually falling behind other industries and uh, there was quite a lot of concern about some of those reports when they were beginning to come out last year and a number of organisations including the Commission, uh, Small Charities Coalition, uh, various funders including the Co-op Foundation uh, and a number of others came together uh, and to look at what they could actually do about this and of course as with all good digital things they started by really trying to define the problem uh, and the problem in a, in a lot of people's view is that uh, whilst there is actually more support than most people realise out there for charities and how they use digital there's no underlying framework which can help you make really proper choices really well thought out choices uh, in order to decide what you're going to do so do you need to go and read a toolkit or read an article or get someone in to help you or get some pro bono support or even get a digital trustee um, and the other thing that had influenced everyone's thinking was looking at uh, the way that the sector had dealt with uh, governance post kids company, where obviously uh, people were, were quite worried about how charities were going to deal with that issue and how code of practice really helped in that situation start to set out some standards and give people an idea of what good looks like. So this very nascent idea of the code of practice came together uh, and then 
uh, I was asked to be involved in it and we had to look at getting funding for it as well uh, and then gradually it all started to, to fall into place and then we launched the idea in, in March this year and obviously the code is, is now out for consultation and people have until the 25th of September to tell us what they think of it. And yet, just just picking up on some of that, how how much of um, kind of the problem that you've identified or that you're trying to address is one of giving uh, kind of leaders within the sector the understanding and skills, and how much is it about people who are the ones kind of actually being expected to to do this stuff in terms of engaging with digital and tech, or do you think that distinction is a bit meaningless? No, no, I think that's a really good question, actually. Uh, I think leadership is the fundamental issue which the code of practice is there to tackle. Um, I mean, again, I think this is something which is affecting every single industry at the moment. So, you know, on the other side of it, if we look at how big tech is is sort of, is sort of looking at how they take ownership of things and accountability, leadership is also a very big issue there, albeit in a very different way to the charity sector. And I think the issue that we have in, in the charity sector is about helping boards develop their confidence and understanding of digital. There are some good trustees out there who are really getting to grips with this stuff but I think there is some way to go there's some data in our latest digital skills report that shows how boards are struggling a bit in that area Uh, and then uh, also you and I um, will know from our many conversations and also from some of the reports that are out there um, there are charity CEOs and and senior managers who while some of them are doing great things in digital again there's there's a bit of a way to go and helping them get really comfortable with this and see the opportunities and risks uh, so yeah i think leadership is absolutely fundamental and and do you think it's i was t- chatting to somebody um else about this the other day on this question of leadership and they raised again this this question of whether there you need to put the focus on trying to deal with any kind of deficiencies in in existing leadership within charities and whether that's kind of giving ceos or senior management the the confidence to to engage with this stuff or it's about trustees that's one way to go but then the 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 other possible route you could go down is to acknowledge that you're never quite going to get the cultural shift with those people so actually what's better is to focus on a sort of a slightly younger generation of future leaders who might for whom this sort of stuff might come much more naturally and see it as a kind of you know 10-year plan to to make sure that those people absolutely have the skills and support them to become the leaders of the future do you think you know which, which of those do you think is kind of the best use of resources or do you think you need to do both of them uh, I, I don't see it as an either or. And actually, I, I don't think it's it's terribly inclusive if we just focus on this new, very talented generation of, of digital leaders coming through and, and kind of let the, the, the old ones sort of older ones as it were um, perhaps not have so much support I think it's it's really important that we are helping both of those different groups and equally uh, that they are both able to learn from each other so I think what we've got in these fantastic new young charity leaders coming through who are digitally native who are very used to these tools and these new ways of working um, is that it was just that the fact that they 
are so confident and they're so used to it and they are completely excited about all the opportunities as well. Uh, I think what we have in the more seasoned and mature generation of charity leaders is they've obviously got a huge wealth of experience uh, and they've got a lot of war stories as well. Um, And I have a great belief, and maybe I'm showing my own age here, uh, but I do think it's important to have all of those things uh, in order to do strategy of any kind really, really effectively. And so I think both groups can really Really learn from each other and it may be that the sort of younger generation coming through will need that additional support around developing those really strong strategy skills to add to their fantastic digital skills they have already uh, and the older generation need that support with uh, just understanding some of those key opportunities and risks in digital and what the implications are for their organisation and realising this really complements the brilliant experience that they've already got I think that sounds eminently sensible. You managed to come up with a much more positive and inclusive uh, version of things than I was presenting there. But I mean, one one thing we've talked about before that that relates to that. Um, do you think there there is something of a risk that if we're trying to do that and to make sure we kind of give the the existing leadership the the tools that they need to to navigate what's going on in digital and technology, and also look to support a generation of future leaders, one of the risks is that if we don't solve some of the sort of challenges shorter term in in making the charity sector a place that people you know with tech skills and who want to work with digital if we don't make it a a really kind of appealing place to work there's a danger that we're going to have a sort of brain drain of people from the sector who will go off and and look elsewhere perhaps to work in the private sector or the public sector where they still feel that they can do social good and have a purpose and that actually you know we might lose a generation of potentially highly skilled uh, people Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very significant risk in any industry at the moment. So with the charity digital skills report, uh, the one we did earlier this year, uh, 39% of respondents told us that if their charity doesn't up its game in digital, uh, they'll either look for a job with a digitally savvy charity or are unsure if they can commit to their role for the the long term. Um, So you can see, you know, if organisations, whether charities or, or not, aren't moving forward with this stuff then people are going to have one eye on on the far exit um and yeah absolutely i mean i'm i'm already starting to see this anecdotally particularly around that middle uh management level and starting to come through in senior management level people saying well you know i I really want to do something with a very strong sense of social purpose where i get to use my digital skills i want to make a difference um and this idea of of staying in the charity sector for life i think is isn't always true based on that you know people who I know my network will move on to they and work for GDS or they go and work for an agency or they might even go and work for a corporate uh, and the charity sector just can't afford to lose those people we can't and and how much of the you know the, what the challenge do you think sort of relates to a broader thing that I think is you know is one of the key factors in this whole area which is more about the sort of changing nature of work and it's almost a sort of HR thing which is a lot of the pe- the sorts of people who are going to want to work in digital jobs also probably want some of those benefits in terms of you know flexibility and remote working and working on projects rather than necessarily kind of working in a single role for for the long term and um, and do you think you know that's one area in which charities at the moment sort of aren't 
adapting as as quickly as they might in order to to kind of make it appealing for those sorts of people yeah i think that's a really interesting one um i think uh there's more that charities could do definitely again though i don't think the sector is is alone in that you know i I talked to some people who are going into uh accountancy for example where they really want to make sure that their organization is, is flexible they can make a difference they can work wherever they want that they get to use the digital skills that they have um so i, I don't think the charity sector is alone in that challenge at all but yes i think it needs to adapt and it needs to look at its, its business model and it needs to to make sure that it's attracting the, the right talent through that as well um so yeah i think that's absolutely key definitely and do you think i mean what what in in your mind do you think charities can kind of do about that because obviously some of this transition to things like agile working or kind of you know having distributed workspaces and all this sort of stuff it's quite a, i mean it's a huge cultural shift and sometimes you know it takes a bit of a leap of faith and probably some in, investment um what what do you think it is that's holding charities back if they're not doing this uh i think there's a number of different things here so i mean i think the the first thing uh is is to do with the model and of course obviously that doesn't change overnight so if we think about for example some of the really really big organizations yes you've got a fantastic brand that you'll get lots of people from in and outside the sector knowing about and being interested in working with you um but you've also got some things in place which make moving to agile working a bit more challenging so for example you've got quite high uh fixed costs you might have a a big building a big physical workplace you've got a workforce of you know hundreds perhaps sometimes even thousands of people um you may even be dealing with a a, a big pension deficit or, or something along those lines so i I think those are obviously things that you, you will need to think through uh, in in trying to make the, the way you work it a little bit more agile. It's, it's absolutely not impossible. Some of the large organisations that we're talking to at the moment are already starting to, to work on improving things further. But I, I think the place to begin is always about uh, your proposition, about your kind of employer brand. So why would an incredibly talented 25-year-old who could go off and work at Facebook um, why would they come and work with you? How are you going to uh, encourage that person to, to come and do that? What is it about you that makes you unique and different? So I think that is absolutely the place to start. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And one thing you mentioned there in passing was um, you just touched on the issue of kind of smaller charities and, and larger charities and in all sorts of ways, you know, that's often presented as a big division in the sector and sometimes i don't know how true it is but it is definitely true that in terms of income and employment the shape of the charity sector you know for anybody listening who doesn't know is that there are a small number of very large organizations and then a huge long tail of you know really very small or even tiny organizations with only a few members of staff or entirely staffed by volunteers when it comes to kind of using digital well and getting to grips with technology do you see a division between big and small charities and you know is it more of a challenge for small charities or is it actually in some ways you know easier for them to adapt um yeah i mean it's it's, it's a really interesting one so 
I think there is a division, but it's perhaps not as clear cut as people might think. Um, so with the sort of larger charities, uh, one of the reasons why the code of practice has, has been put in place is that I think, you know, there are organisations that are really well resourced and have been doing this for a while and, and who are moving ahead with it quite quickly now. Um, and there are other organisations and it's not even necessarily because of size or budget. Again, it comes back to, to leadership uh, where there aren't those digital skills and, and there isn't that confidence with digital, which is effectively holding them back now. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the sector is starting to become a, a little bit polarised potentially around those who are doing brilliant things in digital because they have been doing it for a while and they've got a head start and others where they have not had that that clarity that leadership internally on well where's digital going to take our organization and what we could do with it and uh, that's why um, the code of practice is there to give people an idea of what good looks like and, and what they should be aiming for so yeah to sort of answer your question in a rather roundabout way as so I did that um, I think actually if you're a smaller charity and you uh, have some good people on your board and also your senior management team and you do have some resource you know you can actually move ahead with this stuff quite quickly small can be beautiful uh, in that situation definitely yeah, I mean, I, I always occasionally have these moments where I'm struck by, you know, in a world where there's uh, the ability to kind of use social media and, and kind of you know produce uh, podcasts and blogs and video very, you know, cheaply, actually, the ability to kind of amplify your voice as a small organisation, if you can do this stuff well, is, is incredible. Um, so that, you know, the, the power of it's very obvious to me. I mean, if, if you were in a room talking to, you know, a small or medium sized charity CEO who is mildly sceptical, what, what's usually kind of your pitch to try and convince them that they do need to engage with technology or digital? Look at what your competitors are doing look at what they're doing uh, and also think about who your competitors really are. Uh, so pretty much every one of the hundreds of organisations that we've worked with over the last few years, uh, they're not just looking at competing with other charities now. Um, so, for example, you might be a health charity uh, where historically your competitors have always been these other you know, uh, cancer charity, um, for example. But you might find that there are some tech startups in your space now who are developing apps or digital services, uh, ways to help people, um, the, the very supporters that you are trying to get to and, crucially, who you're trying to um, fundraise from as well. Um, so I, I think that's the really key thing that always seems to work with leaders, looking at what other organisations in your field are doing and how they are progressing with digital. And that's normally the thing that seems to light a fire. And and one of the, the other sticking points, um, it seems to me, it's something you mentioned right, at, right up front, is, is around risk. And it does seem one of the barriers in terms of getting to grips with digital or probably even more so sort of slightly uh more cutting edge technology is the idea that it you know it is uh quite risky to invest time or resources into these things i mean do you think that's a fair assessment or do you think there are things that charities can do 
to engage with technology but to kind of make the the level of risk appropriate um yeah of, of course i mean you know there's always going to be some some risks involved in in doing anything uh that's why we have a a section on risk in in the, the code um i think what was really interesting was obviously the code was developed alongside uh an, a number of different organizations so we've spoken to 30 if not more uh charities small and large about uh the code but also most importantly how they're using digital some of the challenges that they're facing um, and actually i think a really good starting point when you are for example uh procuring uh a, a, a something digital so it might be a new platform it might be a new supplier uh or, or even if you're just thinking about what you're trying to trying to do uh is to ask yourself just some of those kind of like common sense business type questions about digital which anyone can ask regardless of skills uh, so things like you know what are we really trying to do here what does good look like what are the alternatives how do we know that this proposed solution is actually value for money asking all of those really simple questions I think is, is a really good way uh, to start bottoming out the risk involved in, in what you're trying to do I think that's really critical and and have you seen any good examples of the you know the tech industry or you know kind of just wider parts of the commercial sector that might have these kinds of skills uh, available to them working with the charity sector so that the charity sector doesn't necessarily feel like they always have to have those skills in house which i think can seem like quite a high bar sometimes Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think partnerships are the future. I really do think that no organisation and no industry can, can go alone now in digital. Um, the demand for incredibly high skills is so high. You've got to partner with other people who are trying to reach the same you know, the same kind of audience, but also who might have the same interests as well. Um, so one of the collaborations I absolutely love uh, is I really like the Wayfinder app, which was developed by, I believe, just off the top of my head, it was Royal London Society for the Blind and also Google and Microsoft were involved as well which effectively is an app to help people who are um, sight impaired to navigate their way around cities. And, and it obviously is really life changing because it means you can hop on the tube or, or get on the bus in, in the way that, you know, most of us normally do. Uh, and that project was very much developed in, in partnership. Um, and I think Royal Society for the Blind really learned a lot from working with those tech companies and, and vice versa as well. Um, so I, I think that's actually a very good way to go. If you're looking to solve a, a big health problem or a big social problem, uh, have a good look at what other organisations are out there who could help you, whether it's through skills or whether they've got similar goals and see if there's a way that you can partner with them. I mean, why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it just it leads on to you know, something else that I wanted to talk to you about, which is kind of one step beyond uh you know areas of digital tech that are there and ready off the shelf there are you know kind of emerging or disruptive technologies as everybody's you know heard about artificial intelligence and blockchain and things and that you know obviously I've, I've been reasonably involved in kind of thinking about how that might benefit charities or what it might mean for charities in the future 
but it you know it certainly seems like the only way that's going to happen certainly at this point in time is through partnership with with the tech sector um i know you've got a shared interest in artificial intelligence maybe just say a bit about kind of why why you think it's really exciting and kind of something that the charity sector at least should be starting to pay attention to at the moment yeah i mean obviously uh this year there have been so many press stories about artificial intelligence both both good and as bad as, as we both know and we've discussed on quite a few occasions uh, I think uh, where the, the charity sector has a huge amount to bring to the table is to do with the expertise that it has uh, and also some of the data that it holds and I would really like charities to start to, to, to value both of those those things um, more I think there's a lot that they can they can offer there definitely uh, I think if if we started to see more charities and more you know say e-health companies and, and tech organizations working together to solve some of the big problems of our time then it really could be transformative yeah and you absolutely i think there's some you know amazing examples i think i've talked about on the podcast like the one that parkinson's is doing with benevolent ai and, and things mm. um, uh, so yeah it's very it, that whole kind of tech for good space is very exciting but you also touched on uh something else i wanted to to talk about there which is you know we've, we've been so far very positive about the potential for technology and and what it means for charities but i do like to get a bit pessimistic as well so as <laughs> as you said there the thing the reality is with you know as technologies are tools and as with any tool you know they can be used to do good things or bad things and also sometimes they have consequences that you didn't intend and we're certainly starting to see that i think um with technologies like AI, um, people are kind of aware of some of the issues around bias and you know the way in which they can make things like filter bubbles worse. W- one of the things I'm interested in is what role do you think charities can play in sort of highlighting the real world implications of some of these problems and also sort of trying to come up with some solutions? And do you think anybody is kind of there yet in the sector? Oh, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, again, it comes down to the, the knowledge that a lot of charities hold. And, and you know, they're amazing track records in these areas as, as well. I think outside of the charity sector, um, it's interesting, I was talking to someone who's a, a partner in a um tech company recently and he didn't quite appreciate the amount of intellectual capital that the sector holds and also you know it's track record as as well um so I, I think I think that I think it's also about kind of branding and positioning as well to be honest yes a lot of these big charity brands are very well known they're sort of household names um, but I don't think the charity sector is as widely recognized as, as it could be uh, for some of the results that it's it's achieved um over the the many years it's it's been around but also uh how it could help as well how it could partner with some of these organizations so i'd really like to see charities out there um you know uh so talking more about how they could how they could help um and actively looking for opportunities definitely as you say the the parkinson's example is is a really great one of of what you can begin to achieve if you're uh, really proactive and out there looking for how you can work with people 
And do you do you think one of the stumbling blocks is that charities definitely, I think, have this massive body of expertise on kind of, you know, social, environmental and health issues and all sorts of other things. And I definitely have some amazing insight to bring to the table. But I sometimes worry that if we assume that you could put a load of tech people in the room with a load of charity people and they just have a really productive conversation, you'd be quite disappointed <laughs> in a lot of cases. So kind of how how do you think what do you think needs to be done to kind of mediate that conversation well to make sure you do get those end results? Mm, yeah I mean I think it's like any partnership situation really um you both need to be really really clear about what you what you bring to it uh and and what your goals are otherwise it can end up being something that's very transactional and where not everyone is is ultimately happy with the end result so I think there's there's almost a, a piece which comes before that which rather than chucking everyone in the room with a load of post-its and flip chart paper and and hoping for the best you know just having that initial conversation around this is what we're trying to do tell me more about what you're trying to do and where do you see these areas of of common interest and also in your experience what does a good partnership look like Uh, and really kind of starting to to thrash that out first before even thinking well you know let's workshop a solution yeah no I, I think that's right i think i mean certainly you know thing i hear hear a lot about this is people saying if you go into any of these conversations thinking that you're having a conversation about a specific technology then you've probably already kind of doomed the conversation to failure because you you really need to be talking about a problem and then sort of working from that and seeing where it takes you in terms of possible technological solutions um you know, and actually, it might be that it's not a particular technology, or it's not even really a technological solution at all. And all of those things have to be on the table. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, I think it's a, a big challenge. Um, mm, just one thing, I, yeah, uh, one thing uh, I've got here on my list of questions that I'd really wanted to ask you about because it's, it's something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently, and it's certainly one of those sort of increasingly well-known problems with technology um is is kind of around the the sort of attention economy idea and particularly around social media i mean one of the things we're starting to be very aware of is the way in which you know the the these platforms and and kind of social media apps and things and the way they're designed play on you know behaviors that are addictive and they're kind of they're designed to grab our attention and they do it by sort of making it addictive or making the content ever more sort of extreme um and you know i i kind of worry about that and i sort of quite often worry about my own relationship with social media because i don't think it's i'm managing it especially well i kind of wonder you know you've done a lot around social media and and obviously sort of seen the good sides of it do you think that that is something that charities sort of need to have a bit of a think about that you know some of there are some downsides to some of these technologies and maybe charities need to be doing a bit more to kind of play a part in addressing them yes i think that speaks to your earlier point rodri about how if the charity sector is about you know fighting for social change and social good then absolutely needs to be involved in these ethical debates about emerging technology definitely um and it's, it's interesting. I, I definitely would like to see more charities as part of that debate be involved in uh, looking at what good ethical design looks like. Uh, and then, of course, this is relevant to you know a lot of 
charities as well for example if you're a charity that works with 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 young people then I think it's it's also a very pressing issue um but yeah again I think it also comes back to to skills do we have the people in the sector who can talk about this with authority I think we do at some of the big charities who've been doing digital for quite a long time and there must be people at some of the smaller organizations as well Uh, so come forward and identify yourself we would love to hear from you yeah, absolutely. And if you can stop me using Twitter so much, then that'd be so much the better. Um, Not something I can help you with. No, no, I know. Yeah, there was more just a general cry for help to anybody listening. Um, I'm aware that I'm sort of in danger of taking up too much of your time, so I'm, I'm going to round things up in in a minute. But just kind of building on on what we were talking about um, earlier, just in terms of kind of digital skills and leadership taking it one step further there's there's a lot of talk i think more widely about the impact of tech on the workplace and what the future of work is going to look like and this is often in the context of sort of you know automation and you know ai coming and taking all of our jobs but i mean what do you have a a sense of how some of that might play out in the the charity sector and kind of how those of us in the sector or who might want to be in the sector need to start thinking about how you know charity work might look different in 10 or 15 years time um yeah definitely I mean I think there's a a lot to play for at the moment so I'm you know whilst every charity is inevitably going to look different in 2028 I think everyone needs to start planning for that now um I mean, I think one thing for for sure is people are obviously going to be, you know, even more interested in sort of remote working. Um, I think there's also a big piece around skills as as well. And I think there's also an onus on charity employees as much as employers to think about this. You know, careers obviously go on for such a long time. We're talking about the average length of career is, what, 60 to 70 years now, as I understand it. And during that time, you're going to develop multiple, multiple careers and multiple skill sets. And you may work in a number of different industries. I think charities, as with every other kind of organisation, needs to think about how they can accommodate that and indeed see it as an advantage. Uh, so for example I know when Jo Wolfe was at Breast Cancer Care uh, she did some really smart uh, work on how she was very realistic that they might not have people uh, who would stay with them for five years in the digital team but they might well stay for a really good 18 months uh, if she could give them a, a really interesting project where they could really develop more responsibility early on and they could go on a really good learning curve and it would be a very mutually beneficial experience everyone I think charities as with every other sector might need to be a little more pragmatic about the fact that people aren't necessarily going to be on their payroll forever um, and what they can do with them in that time Um, but equally also how they can flex their structure a bit so if we look at a charity like cast where they only have a a core team of about 10 staff I think uh, but they have a big big network of organizations that they partner with and also freelancers who they bring in Uh, to me that very much looks like the charity of the future something that is pretty flexible uh, and something where you're thinking about people's needs and interests and how you can use those to achieve your goals as an organization 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that sounds like a compelling vision of the future that I'd want to work in. So I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely on board with that. Um, that's absolutely great, Zoe. I mean, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast. Uh, just just before we we finish up, is there you know anything you'd like to flag up in terms of things you've got coming up, or you know things you'd like to kind of point people towards? Yeah, so the first thing is uh, we are really, really keen to hear uh, what as many people as possible think of the charity Digital Code of Practice. Um, We've had some really great, really brilliant responses so far, and and we just are really interested to hear from as many people as possible. Uh, So if you head over to charitydigitalcode.org, responding to the consultation only takes about 10 minutes. Uh, So I would definitely encourage people to do that because... Um, the code will be as good as the sector makes it. So please do that. Um, really looking forward to hearing from people about that. Please do get involved. Uh, and then the second thing which I, I might mention, if I may, is um, nominations for the Social Sea Awards are also open uh, and they run until midnight on the 28th of September. Um, and we want to recognise people who are brilliant at social media, but also we've got some additional categories this year. Um, um, where we're recognising really good digital trust, um, digital leadership, including great digital trustees and also uh, people who are championing digital, not only in their organisation, but across the particular bits of the sector they work in. Um, so please do help these emerging leaders, you know, whether they are 25 or 75, uh, be recognised because we really want to celebrate some great examples of success there. Absolutely. I know I definitely second that and an actual genuine call to action to do something about the very issues we've been talking about, which is unusual for this podcast. So <laughs> excellent. Um, well, that's absolutely great. Thanks so much for, for coming on, Zoe. Um, it's been great chatting to you. Um, and, you know, I certainly encourage everybody to, to go off and, and check out the stuff um, that you've mentioned there. Um, and hopefully I might you know, get you back on uh, at some point in the future. and We can sort of see where some of these issues have gone. I'd love to. That sounds great. And thank you so much for having me today, Roger. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, thanks again to Zoe for coming on the podcast. It was great to have the opportunity to talk to her. Uh, As I said, you know, we've talked about quite a lot of those things before, but it was good to have an opportunity to do it uh, in a way where other people might have a chance to to listen to it. So, um, you know, thank you to her for doing that. Um, as ever, um, if you enjoyed the sort of things that we were talking about on the podcast, well, first of all, check out the work that Zoe's doing with uh, Charity Digital Code of Practice and look at uh, Charity Digital Skills Report. Check out the uh, Social CEOs Awards and all those kinds of things. Um, and if you want to hear what I've got to say about uh, technology, uh, check out the pages on the CAF website, the Giving Thought pages, the Future Good campaign pages. Um, check out back issues of this podcast uh, follow me on twitter at rodri underscore h underscore davis where i bang on interminably about tech and uh, other issues to do with philanthropy um, uh, send me an email if you've got some ideas for things that we could cover in future episodes of the podcast or people i could interview so that's uh, giving thought at cafonline.org other than that just like subscribe and tell all your friends about this podcast and i'll see you next time okay bye